We're looking at these two passages here tonight. 1 Peter 3, 1 through 6, and then Proverbs 31, 10 through 31. Who needs their Bible? As we talk about, if you recall two weeks ago, we talked about uh, what a, uh, a godly man looks like. And this week, we're going to talk about what a godly woman looks like. So, let's give our attention to God's Word. It says, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair, the wearing of gold, or the putting on of clothing. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart, with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, by submitting to their husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. And then Proverbs thirty-one ten through 31 says, An excellent wife, who can find? She is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. She seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. She is like the ships of the merchant. She brings her food from afar. She rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. She considers a field and buys it. With the fruit of her hands, she plants a vineyard. She dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. She puts her hands to the distaff and her hands... Hold the spindle. She opens her hand to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. She is not afraid of snow for her household, for all her household are clothed in scarlet. She makes bed coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them. She delivers sashes to the merchants. Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she laughs at the time to come. She opens her mouth in wisdom and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her of the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates." Grass withers and flowers fade away, but the Word of God stands forever. So let's pray before we consider it further. Lord Jesus, we, we need your words. We need for you to speak to us, for you to tell us truth, because quite frankly, we, we love to pervert truth. We can't perceive correctly. We can't understand correctly without you working in us through your Holy Spirit. And so we pray that, that you would do that right now, that you would be with us tonight through your Holy Spirit, and that you would open our hearts, open our minds, our eyes and our ears, Lord, to be able to see you and see your truth. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so this, our opening uh, illustration may not come as much of a surprise to you. Um, I need water. Um, I want you to, uh, basically the same thing that we did a couple weeks ago, 
Um, for the guys, I want you to think about um, the perfect woman for you. Maybe the, the top five characteristics that you would um, most look for in girlfriend or wife. And girls, uh, sort of the same thing. I want you to think of the top five things that you would change about yourself if you could. Um, and so now we're, we're going to call some of those out. So I'm going to call on you. And I'm just kidding. Um, so how many, I would be willing to bet that a lot of those things, if you, if you sat down and made that list, uh, whether, whether male or female, that a lot of those things would, would be physical aspects, physical attributes. Um, I would bet the vast majority of them would be. And I'd also probably be willing to bet that nobody had a list out of their five that didn't have anything in regard to physical appearance. And if, if you did, don't tell me about it because you'd look really self-righteous. You know, if you, um, thanks for laughing. And I think it's interesting that we as, in our culture are so hung up on physical appearance uh, and maybe more with females, uh, maybe more than ever. Um, and really womanhood, what is often pictured as is, is exactly that, some sort of over over-sexualized being, right? It doesn't take long to walk down, uh, just walk down the magazine aisle, in the bookstore, the grocery store, and you can, you know, even if you forget about the magazines that are aimed at men, just the ones that are aimed at women, you know, that's the picture you get. Um, that it's all about, uh, it's all about how you look, how you appear. Um, that ultimately, what, really what a woman is for is uh, some sort of skin-exposing, man-pleasing object. It's not hard to get that, uh, that feel. And then, at the same time, though, I think our culture also gives off the feeling that, that really, that what we value in, woman, uh, in womanhood, I guess you could say, is to be highly independent, almost under-sexualized, um, doesn't, really doesn't need a man, doesn't need anyone in their life, uh, you know, goes out and takes charge, grabs the world, and, you know, pulls it down and puts it in their pocket. Um, in some ways, an opposite picture. And so I think it begs the question for us, what does, what does true womanhood look like? And so we're going to do what we do every week, which is to open the Bible and see what, see what God has to tell us about what, um, what biblical womanhood, what true womanhood looks like. Um, and so I want to look at a few, just a handful of points tonight. Uh, one of the things I think that we see from these couple passages is that a godly woman defines herself inside out and not outside in. See that in verses uh, 3 through 4, Proverbs 31, 30. Um, so did, I don't know if you noticed, but in the long characteristics, long list of characteristics that we just read, not one of them was about her physical appearance. None of them were about her physical appearance. Um, a godly woman is one who knows, she knows who she is. She, de- she defines herself by who she is in her, in her heart. Uh, who she is before God is who she truly is. Verse 4, if you notice, refers to the hidden person of the heart. So what is that? What is the hidden person of the heart? Well, it's who you truly are. Because God sees and knows our hearts, right? Uh, 
1 Samuel 16, 7. It says, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. I think in other words, we could say her character. Someone's character is the hidden part of the heart. But interestingly enough, if you notice in the passage, that hidden part of the heart doesn't stay hidden, right? In fact, it's actually that that is her adornment, right? Um, it's the hidden part of her heart that actually evidences, evidences itself and is what's attractive about a godly woman. And so to the ladies, I, want you to, I just want you to think for a second, wouldn't it, wouldn't it be nice, wouldn't you like for a guy to be attracted to your character first as opposed to your uh, outward appearance? That who you were in your heart and your character was uh, what was attractive to someone more than your body parts. I think most of us would admit that that, that would be a great thing. And so as a, as a little brief application, I think I would have to ask the ladies, then which one are you showing more of? I think you need to think about that. If you do think that it would be nice for, uh, for guys to be attracted to character more than body parts, which one do you reveal more of to people? Which one do you want people to see first? And guys, which one are you more attracted to? Because I want you to think about, I want you to think about the, the, the brilliance of, of biblical wisdom on this, right? Physical, for a couple of reasons. Physical beauty, physical beauty can be deceptive, right? The most beautiful person in the world can be incredibly ugly on the inside. And obviously that relationship, a relationship with that person wouldn't last long. But physical beauty is also... Can also, it can be deceptive, but it's also very temporary. It's going to change. It comes and it goes. And quite frankly, probably more often than not, it just goes. Um, the truth of the matter is that, is that eventually things are going to wrinkle and sag and stretch and just not be very physically attractive. It's the truth. And so if, if our relationships, if your relationship is based on that, Right? If first and foremost your relationship is based on physical attraction, you have to see that it's impermanent. It's temporary. It's going to change. So guys, I would challenge the guys that you might want to rethink, you might have to rethink how you evaluate women. Uh, I, I would bet that most of us walk into a room and you probably eliminate half the people based on, on body style or what they look like. So to the ladies, I know it, you know you might be thinking that you know there's a part of you that gets excited about that idea, right? That you know people being attracted to your character and what's on the inside. Um, but you might also be thinking that that actually scares you, right? That it's neat on the one hand, but actually I don't want people to get to know me, right? I, you might be afraid of people seeing what is on the inside seeing the hidden parts of who you really are. Um, because you know what's true about you, right? You, you know that your character is not... Uh, maybe your character is not as attractive as you, as you would like for it to be. Um, but I want you to see that the woman in this passage, or these passages, the woman that does not trust in her beauty, or doesn't show off her beauty, 
right? She's described as one who fears the Lord or one who hopes in the Lord. So in other words, she's somebody, a godly woman is one that knows herself well enough to know that she doesn't even trust in her own character. Right? She knows that she's a sinner and she knows that she's put all her trust in God and that not even her, her good, her character commends her to God. She, she defines herself by his definition of her, right? Um, so therefore, it's not based on her physical appearance. It's not even based on her character. It's based on what God has said is true about her. And that is that God has, that God has given her his righteousness, the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And that's how she defines herself. She takes his definition. So she defines herself inside out, not outside in. Secondly, a godly woman is, is one that fully develops her gifts. Uh, verses 16, 19, 24. The godly woman is, is not pictured as, as a lot of people might think the Bible would sort of picture a woman, right? As the wife that's in the kitchen, barefoot and pregnant. Right? And that's the woman's place. Far from it. Um, the woman, a godly woman is pictured as productive and talented, skillful. It says she considers a field and buys it. She makes things and sells them. Being a godly woman means that you use your gifts that God's given you. You cultivate them. You grow them. Um, you look to impact the world, your family, society. Um, a godly woman works hard at what she does. She's responsible. She plans for the future. The Bible doesn't try to remove women from society and, and give us that picture of sort of barefoot, pregnant in the kitchen, right? It's actually, in many ways, the opposite. So ladies, I'd ask you, are you growing and working to be a mature and responsible adult? Are you, are you cultivating your talents? Are you looking to develop your gifts? Do you handle your money well? Or do you just wait for your parents to bail you out? Are you studying hard in your classes? Are you just... Uh, are you just trying to fill the, uh, what do you call it, the MRS degree, right? Just get out of here and find a husband. Godly woman somebody that develops her gifts. Thirdly, godly woman somebody that cares for others. Look at verse 20 in the second passage. She cares for the poor and needy. She opens her hand to the poor and reaches out her hand to the needy. A godly woman is one that has a heart for people. That don't have that need things, that don't have all the resources that they need. Um, she looks around the world and she sees, she sees people as opportunity. Uh, she sees opportunities to help. She looks to serve people. She knows that she's spiritually bankrupt before God, and yet God has given her everything, and so she looks at her resources as opportunities to serve other people. Certainly that means giving away money, right, and time, but what about, what about socially needy people? What about reaching out to people that, that need friends? That's what a godly woman does. I had a friend of mine in college who was uh, one of the godliest girls that, that I know. And she was also one of the most socially adept people you could ever meet. And in a, in a, I mean this in a good sense, she knew that. She knew that was one of her gifts. And the way she used that was pretty much any time you looked up in a group of people, she was always talking to the person that nobody else wanted to talk to. 
And when she talked to you, she made you feel like you're the most important thing in the world. She had a, she had a fabulous gift. She developed it, she, uh, and she used it to love and serve other people. Fourthly, a godly woman is someone who marries slash dates, for our purposes, a respectable man. Look at verse 23. It says, Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. A godly woman marries and, and therefore dates, because that's, that's how you get married, right? Um, and we're going to talk about that more in, in two weeks. Talk very specifically about dating. Um, godly woman dates a respectable man. The gates, you know, if you have no idea what that's talking about, right? I can understand that. The gates were sort of the, uh, the city, the civic center, right? It's where the business went down. Um, it's where the, uh, the decisions got made. And her husband's one is a man that's pictured as involved in the affairs of the city. And he's known among its leaders. He's a respectable guy. And so to the, to the ladies, I, would, I guess I'd ask you, you know, I, I, I don't get the whole bad boy attraction because for a lot, most of that's because I'm a guy. But, yeah, I don't get the bad boy attraction. But a godly woman... It's not godly. I just put it that way. Um, if you want to marry a respectable guy that will love you and respect you, then you need to date a guy that's respectable. So what about your boyfriend's reputation? What's it like? And I, sort of like we said last week about the guys, don't just define him by what he's not, right? Well, he doesn't drink and he doesn't smoke and he doesn't swear, right? Okay, that's great. But what is he? What's he made of? Is he, a, is he a godly man? Is he a respectable man? Is he a man that you could take home to your parents and you'd be proud to show your parents? Is he somebody that you want your kids to grow up and be like? Is he somebody that, that you want to lead you? Spiritually and otherwise. If not, you need to break up with him. You can tell him I said that. Fifthly, a godly woman is somebody that is a, is a woman that sees herself through the Bible's eyes. Okay, uh, this is in First Peter one and six. Um, I, all right. So before we get into this, which is going to be very brief, I just want to say this: Hear me out, okay? Just hear it. You got to hear the whole thing. A godly woman is one who sees herself as the Bible sees her, which is under the headship of a man. Okay, hang up. Put the guns down. Hang on. Nowhere does the Bible, we have to say this first, nowhere does the Bible talk about woman being generally under the headship of every man. Okay? The Bible does not teach that. Not teach that. But in the Bible's economy, a woman is always under the headship of either her father or her husband. Okay? And, and in a sense, also the church leaders. Always under the headship of her father or her husband. And so we're going to talk about this more in, in two weeks, like I said. So we're going to flesh it out more. But here's why I say that. Um, I make that point not to, you know, uh, talk to you about submission. And so the guys get fired up about that. Like, all right, I can't wait to get married so I can make somebody submit, right? That's totally missing the boat on this. Uh, the reason I bring it up here now is to, is to say this for this application. While the Bible does picture woman as under the headship of a particular man, 
it is never her boyfriend. It's never, the Bible never pictures a woman under the headship of her boyfriend. And so what I mean by that is this, that ladies, it's important to grasp and to understand and to know and to operate under the concept that your boyfriend does not own you. He doesn't, and not only doesn't own you, but he doesn't have any rights over you. He doesn't have any rights over your time, over your affection, over your body, over your allegiance. Your boyfriend does not have any rights over you. Again, we're going to flesh that out. We're going to talk a lot about that in two weeks. And we can fight about it and all that kind of good stuff. But boyfriend doesn't have any rights over you. Sixthly and finally, lastly, godly woman is, is one that is not afraid. See that in verse 21 and 25, and then in 1 Peter uh, 3, 6. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. A godly woman is one that's not paralyzed by fear. She's not, afraid. She's not afraid of difficult things that might come, down, uh, come her way. She's not afraid of the future. Uh, she's not afraid. Um, I guess to put it in our terms, she's not somebody that is afraid of what's coming after graduation. Am I going to have a job? What's going to happen to me? She's not scared of the thought of not making enough money to make ends meet. She doesn't worry about what her friends think about her. She doesn't live in fear of the possibility that her parents might actually split up. She doesn't lay in bed at night awake wondering if she's ever going to find a guy that actually loves her. She's not paralyzed by the fear that no guy will ever think she's pretty enough. Now that sounds good, right? That sounds like a good thing. But you, you might well be thinking, okay, I'm afraid of all of those things, actually, right? Um, in fact, every one of those that you mentioned, I'm terrified of. And, and how in the world could somebody not be afraid of those things, right? Peter obviously even recognizes there are things that are frightening, right? Don't fear anything that's frightening. So how, how could you not be afraid of those things? And the answer is that the only way to not be afraid is to know that you're safe, right? That might be very obvious. But the only thing that can override fear is security, to know that you're safe. And that's what we want out of our dating relationships, and that's why dating is so hard, I think, in, in large part. It's because we go to dating relationships, and we want, we want them to make us safe. We want them to be safe for us, provide security, and they just don't. There's no commitment there. But not even the best marriage provides perfect safety and security. And so let me end by saying this. But what if there, and just, you know, what if? What if there is a marriage that does provide perfect safety and security? What if there were a relationship that you could be in that would make you so safe and secure that it would actually, it would actually make you able more and more to face those things that are frightening and, be, and not be overwhelmed by them? Because if, if you've been with us, you know, you know, you might well know what I'm talking about, right? That there is a relationship, there is a marriage. We talked, what, maybe four or five weeks ago about how marriage, earthly marriage doesn't save us, but 
But marriage does save us, right? Marriage to the God that made us. That God offers us a relationship with, with Himself. One in which He loves us so much with, with a passionate love that will never let us go. And He watches over us and He cares for us like, like His bride, like a lo- loving husband. And so to the lady, really to all of us, say that, that's the only way to be in a relationship with God like that, to be in that marriage, to see yourself as the bride of Christ, as the Bible says, is the only way to, to have any sort of sense of true security in your life so that you really might actually be able to let those other things go. It's the only thing that will begin to give us some sort of solid foundation to build our life on so that our physical appearance, the, the, the thought of never having a boyfriend or girlfriend, uh, all those things... Begin to, begin to fade into the background in a sense. That we might be able to manage them. That they don't lord over us in fear. It's to be in that relationship. To know that Jesus is your husband and he thinks, he thinks that you're beautiful because he made you that way. Let me end with this illustration. My former campus minister, when he would perform a wedding, He would always give this illustration, and it was, there was not a dry eye in the house. Um, the whole theme of his wedding service would be that what we're doing here is we're playing dress-up, right? This, this wedding service is really an illustration. We're playing dress-up about the one day someday when the bride of Christ is married, when, when the church is married to Jesus, the bride and groom. And he would give this illustration that when his daughter was like six or seven years old, she would play dress up, right? She would put on all these ridiculous clothes and she would play, you know, dress up like a bride. And so she's wearing costume jewelry and, you know, all this ridiculous garb that's in this little chest that they had, grandmother's clothes and stuff like that. And she would parade around in front of him, you know, in all this ridiculous garb. And she would say, Daddy, are I pretty? And so what do you think his response was? Because, all right, picture what's going on objectively. Just detach yourself. Objectively, is she, is she pretty? No, she looks sort of ridiculous, right? But what do you think her, her dad thought about her? What do you think, even as ridiculous as she looks, what do you think her dad's response was? And of course, she says, Daddy, are I pretty? And he would scoop her up in her arm, up in his arms, big bear of a man. And he would say, baby, you're beautiful. I think you're beautiful. And we're, we are playing dress up at our weddings because they do point to the marriage, right? The marriage of Jesus Christ to his people, to us. And that's what's offered to us tonight. So what's offered to you tonight, the gospel, the good news that, that says you get, to, you get the opportunity to look down the aisle of your salvation, so to speak, to your groom, to Jesus, waiting for you. And when you say, Daddy, are I, am I pretty? Do you think, do you, am I attractive to you? You're met with a love that's so safe 
and so secure that you, could, you can't even shake it if you try. And that's the good news of the gospel. That we get to come to Jesus looking ridiculous in our sin, but desperately wanting somebody to look at us and tell us that we're okay and that they find us beautiful and find us attractive. And God gives us the, the clothes, as it were. He clothes us in the righteousness of His Son. So that when we look to that and we wonder, am, am I attractive? Am, do, am I worth anything? We get the same response as, as this little girl. Am I pretty? Baby, I think you're beautiful. That's the gospel. That's the good news for you tonight. It's offered to us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we can scarcely believe that that's true. Left to ourselves, we would definitely not believe that. Lord, we pray that you would change our hearts, that, that we might actually dare to believe that you would look at us as ridiculous as we are in our sin, whether, whether male or female. Lord, we are far from godly. We are not godly women. We are not godly men. We fall far short of your standard. And yet you have good news for us. That you look at us, and because of, because of Jesus, you say, I think you are beautiful. Lord Jesus, I pray that that would be true of us tonight. And if it's not, would you make it so? We ask it, Jesus, in your name. Amen.